Hi, this is Dana Stevens, Slate's movie critic, and I'm here with the Slate Spoiler Special Podcast on Land of the Lost, the new Will Ferrell comedy. I'm here with Tanner Colby. Hi, Tanner. Hi, Dana. Who is a writer of The Chris Farley Show. Just out in paperback. Just out in paperback. This week, no? Yes, last week. And uh, my expert, my resident expert on all things comic. Although you asked me to please take you to not a comedy next time. I want to go see a big, stupid summer movie. Though this kind of was a big, stupid summer movie in a funny kind of way. You want to go see a big, serious movie about cars being seriously slammed into... Right, but I think Transformers has already been taken. I'm afraid it has, yeah. But okay, we'll take you to the next big, big blow-up movie. But So I'm really happy to have you here on Land of the Lost, because I think you and I are almost alone in having sort of liked this movie. It's, it's almost sort of embarrassing to admit, especially now that the critical appropriate yeah, it, is rising. It but. is embarrassing to admit, but I'm going to stand by it. I, I, I laugh my ass off in this movie. They got Roger Ebert on our side. He actually liked it. But I think on Rotten Tomatoes right now, this movie's rating is, I don't know, it's hovering in the teens somewhere last time I looked. Still, I mean, I, I dreaded this movie, I have to say, going in. I have some memory happening to be in the sort of correct demographic spot for Land of the Lost. I do have some memory of the original show, which aired um, from 1974 to 76, right. and in eternal syndication thereafter. And they're fond of vague memories of an extremely bizarre universe that that, that show was about, that live-action Saturday morning show. And I really didn't want to see it tapped by Will Ferrell and sort of, you know, the nostalgic barrel scraped for this movie. I really thought it was going to be a total failure. So maybe part of my affection is just that it was a little bit funnier than I thought. Right. I, mean, we, I think we both certainly went in with the lowest possible expectations. Uh, I think Will Ferrell has kind of uh, worn out his shtick in the past couple of years. Um, Step Brothers, and well, you like Step Brothers, but uh, uh, Blades of Glory and, and Semi Pro, he, he needed to reinvent his game. And I feel like this movie gave him a chance to do that because it took his cartoonish, outlandish persona and put it in a world where anything could happen. And so to me, it worked. Yeah, I think my, my Will Ferrell laugh threshold is a little bit lower than, than yours is, and maybe a lot of people's. I just find Will Ferrell really funny, and actually even his failure movies. I mean, I can, of course, distinguish between the ones that work better and work worse, but he's, he's always able to make me laugh. Um, also, he's paired with Danny McBride in this movie, which I think you and I both agree is, is a great comic duo, that they should keep making movies together. Yeah, Danny McBride is, is comedy gold. It's like alchemy. You just put him in something and it turns into comedy gold. I haven't seen him do anything bad yet, I don't think. Are you worried at all that he might go down the path that you, you see Will Ferrell sort of hovering toward, that he's, he's going to start you know picking the same role over and over again and just get on people's nerves? It will happen because it's inevitable. I don't see it happening because of any choice that anyone's going to make. It's just what happens. He's going to get shoehorned in a couple of roles where they try and make him carry a movie that's a little bit bigger than he should and it's going to be the same joke one too many times and then there'll be a flop and he'll have to figure something else out. All right. Well, such as it is, I mean, this movie is such a flimsy plot, and part of what's sort of endearing about it is that the stakes are very low, and what's happening doesn't really need to cohere with any particular um, rigor. But do you want to try to carry us through the Well, the basic plot is that Will Ferrell is Dr. Rick Marshall, a scientist, uh, in quotes, and he's invented a new method of energy production that's based on time warps and uh, tachyon energy. Uh, which doesn't make any sense and doesn't need to because uh, that's just the uh, the uh, the MacGuffin that gets us rolling. And so the movie starts out with, I think, what is what one of the best scenes in the movie was his interview with Matt Lauer, uh, where Matt Lauer is raking him over the coals. Uh, and it's such a great parody of the, the cultural touchstone moment a couple of years ago where Matt Lauer did the same thing to Tom Cruise. And uh, is a brilliant, what I think is brilliant, uh, moment where... Farrell races off screen and then rushes back on to basically attack Mac Lauer and, and, and wrestle him on the couch. And uh, the 
Chiron from the show just puts back up Dr. Rick Marshall as he charges back onto the screen to fight uh, Matt Lauer. And to me, it's just a brilliant parody of of live morning TV, which is so inane. I know this uh, is a real you-had-to-be-there moment. And it's I remember that, that, Chiron, that Chiron got a big, big laugh out of you in that But it, it was a, a, a huge involuntary laugh. And I think once once they got me in that opening scene, I was just along for the ride. And so I, I bought into it. And uh, if you don't buy into it from the beginning, you're probably not going to have a very good time. Wait, but you forgot about your plot summary. So, oh, so, so Matt right. Lauer throws him so out. Matt Lauer he's throws basically him out. a washed-up scientist he's that no one takes seriously. He's washed up, and he's he's left alone. He's teaching uh, uh, science to kids who come to the La Brea Tar Pits in Los Angeles, and uh, comes into his classroom one day as a young British scientist, a uh, very attractive young woman by played by Anna Frile. Frile. I don't know how you say her last. Frile. Name. We're going to go with Frile. Um, Anna Frile and or Frile. Frile. No, we're going to go with Friel. We're going to go with Friel. Anna Friel uh, barges in, and she believes everything that he he's taught about tachyon energy and time warps, and she's trying to convince him that his uh, you know energy reader that he's invented will actually work and create a dim- uh, portal to another dimension that will release energy that will solve America's energy crisis. So she takes him to a spot in the desert where that has very high uh, readings, or where she actually found uh, an ancient fossil. Uh, with a cigarette lighter imprint in it, and this is proof that time is jumbled up or something. And uh, they go to this place where they meet Danny McBride, who is the proprietor of a really cheap, tacky theme park uh, type. Kind of a fun house. Fun house Tunnel thing. of love type thing. Tunnel of love in the desert. And they go down this tunnel of love, and uh, they go through this dimensional warp and get trapped in the land of the lost, which is sort of a... Uh, a cosmic, you know, lost and found with the detritus of the universe uh, just gets dumped. And uh, when they get there, they encounter a bizarre alien being who says he wants to uh, help them uh, in their quest. And they've just got to find the, the tachyon reader and, and get out. And that's basically the whole structure for them to then drape on a bunch of set pieces where Will Ferrell and Danny McBride have a great time. Um. Yeah, we should point out, too, because it was something that bothered me. I don't think it bothered you as much because you don't remember the original show as much. But the, the, the two characters, you know, the, the two sidekicks that Dr. Rick Marshall takes down into the Land of the Lost with him are named Will and Holly, which were the name of his two children sidekicks in the original show. So his children have been converted into this sort of, you know, redneck funhouse proprietor. And then this young woman who actually becomes his romantic interest. So Right. So he gets it on with his daughter figure. Um, I sort of wish that the movie had at least nodded to that in some way and put in some kind of joke. I used to have a daughter named Ollie, but she right. won't talk to me anymore or something. Yeah, but I think if you put in the pedophile joke, then it is no longer PG-13. Well, not a pedophile joke, but actually something to sort of guard against that the cloud of pedophilia that otherwise hangs over it for the true, entire movie. True, right. Then again, this movie is not in any way trying to be clean enough for kids. It's, it's PG-13, I imagine, the rating, but it's got some yeah. fairly raunchy jokes in it. Yeah, it does. Uh, and, and plenty of scatological ones, which we'll get to in a moment. So they get down to this Land of the Lost world, which we should stress is not exactly... They haven't gone back in time exactly. They've gone to some kind of place that... They've know, made a lateral move. They're, they're sort of at the intersection of past, present, and future or something. And essentially this hole that they fell through ends up being sort of like a cosmic depot where mm-hmm. little bits of pop culture junk just sort of fall through and end up being, you know, sort of tools and toys that they can use during the course of the movie. Do you want to talk about some of the some of the stuff that, that does work in this part, well, some of the big gags? The big gags, they, they really kind of work in spite of themselves. I mean, when, uh, when Farrell shows up with a big jug of hydrosaur urine uh, saying that he's going to camouflage himself by dumping the hydrosaur, hydrosaur urine all over himself, 
you don't want to like it. You just be like, oh, we're going to go with, with the urine dumping on the face joke. Uh, how many of those have I seen? And it's funny. <laughs> and why it, is it, it funny? Is it funny I, because of Will Ferrell's sort of self-abasement, his capacity for self-abasement? It, it's funny because of Will Ferrell's brilliant uh, self-abasement, but it's also funny because of Danny McBride it sort of assumes the audience's role of, you're not really going to do that, are you? And with his commentary mixed with Will Ferrell's self-abasement, it just works. It's like, you know, a good fart joke, you don't want to like it, but when when, when it when it's when it's done masterfully, you, you got to give it up. And this is where it gets down and dirty with us admitting we didn't just like the movie; we liked the dinosaur urine. We liked the dinosaur joke. urine dousing joke, which um, don't tell my parents. But uh, yeah, so I mean, it just really works in in spite of all expectations. I think, and also another thing that I think that that's cool about it is the affection it has for sort of this Americana. Uh, the the detritus that gets dumped into this land of the lost is like old fifties roadside motels and banjos and and you know uh, an ice cream truck an ice through. cream truck and so it really is uh, sort of I think a riff on you know Americana and 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 nostalgia in that way I think it's very aware of what it's doing in that sense and it creates and this is another thing that we had talked about after the movie the special effects. Some of them are quite good, like the dinosaur that chases him, the, the CGI T-Rex is, of course, far better than anything that was in Jurassic Park, just because the technology is advanced. But a lot of the set pieces are kitschy, and they're very obviously, you know, uh, stylized. And I think they just create, they create a world and, and a setting that... Uh, it's just fun to be in. Well, for example, I like the fact that the uh, the Sleestacks, who are the lizard people, who mm-hmm. are sort of their enemies, but these very slow-moving and not very threatening enemies in the in the Land of the Lost, are just guys in rubber suits, as they were right. in the old show. They don't try to digitize them or make them more realistic or more scary or, or anything like that. In fact, they're the same sort of oddly unthreatening menace that, that they always were. I mean, right. the, 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 show, the movie is not at all interested in being a kind of nostalgic archive of the show or being true to its mythology or anything like that. No, we were no, speculating, actually, after remotely. the movie, whether there's any Land of the Lost purists out there who are busily blogging away about how the Sleestack culture is nothing like it's shown in the movie. Right, right. But and I still th- feel that it's, it's true to the spirit of the show, or at least to the spirit of those who love the show, in the sense that it really, it really does sort of adore its bright, colorful bits of, of old junk. Yeah, definitely. I want to talk about some of the stuff that doesn't work because we we both agree that it's not an unalloyed masterpiece, right? Oh no no no! There's plenty that we falls probably, flat I would on the sidewalk. Probably not be able to write an entire PhD dissertation on you know the beauties of of Land of the Lost. So we'll turn to some of those things in a minute. But I want to take a break for a word from our sponsor. So as regular listeners to this podcast know, Audible.com has a relationship with Slate, where if you sign up through our page www.audiblepodcast.com/spoiler, you can get a free audiobook and a month long membership. And if you decide not to keep your membership, which you won't because it really is a great service, then you get to keep your book anyway. What we've been doing on every spoiler is recommending a book that Audible carries and that's sort of vaguely, this week very vaguely thematically related to our movie since we couldn't find anything about tachyon converters or... Since it's not actual science. But, and there's not a book about Land of the Lost either, actually. I looked for one. But there is a book called Dinosaur in a Haystack, which is a collection of essays on, on science and paleontology, partly by the wonderful scientist Stephen Jay Gould, the late Stephen Jay Gould. I haven't read this particular book, but I love his writing, so I'm going to recommend Dinosaur in a Haystack. 
So, so yes. So back to Land of the Lost. So let's talk about some of the things that don't work. You found a few moments painful. There was one actually joke that you were you were observing is sort of like Will Ferrell at his worst, the lazy Will Ferrell moment. Yeah, there's one scene. They've been chasing this tachyon uh, transporter device all over the uh, the map in, in in the Lost World, and the 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 device is emitting show tunes because the hard drive of the device was taken from an iPod and this uh, one of the uh, running gags in the movie. And so they've tracked this thing up to the top of a mountain where there's a pterodactyl has taken it and deposited it there. And they have to cross a thin sheet of volcanic glass where dozens of pterodactyl eggs are nesting and uh, the tachyon device is on the other side. And Will Ferrell, for no reason, has to dance across the glass to the tune of God, I Hope I Get It from a chorus line. And it it had all of the worst hallmarks of Feral movies where the director just puts a camera on Will Ferrell and says, okay, be funny. And he just sort of gets out on this and he's dancing, God, I hope I get it. And it, it doesn't work. It just falls flat on its face. And um, that just represents the worst instincts that people have with people like Farrell or with Farley or Blue Shoe or anyone else, where they don't direct them, they don't they don't make them be a character, they don't make them stay true to the, and use their comedy in the service of the story. They just say, okay, you know, go do something ridiculous. Yeah, that is one of the slacker moments, and it really slackens the pace too because it, yeah. it takes too long. You also didn't think the the drug trip scene worked. No, after they get the hold of their 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 tachyon reading device, uh, they go to the hotel in the desert. And they're hanging out, and they get a hold of these, basically, these psychedelic pomegranates and, and drink the juice out of them. It's like, oh, it's a crazy narcotic, so we're going to hallucinate and see a bunch of crazy shit. When they're already in a world surrounded by crazy shit that you would be have to be hallucinating to see anyway. So the fact that they go on this drug trip in the land of the lost strikes me as pati- you know particularly... It doesn't really make Useless. any sense at all. And it was clearly no. just a narrative device that to sort of have them out of it for long enough that the woman, Anna Friel, the Holly character, can Could then disappear and, and need to be rescued. Yeah, so she'd go off and get to be captured. And and that also, similar to this uh, scene on top of a mountain, was just like, you know, stop the camera and, and let Will Ferrell just, you know, be funny for a few minutes. Would you be one of those who would say that Will Ferrell needs to be working with Adam McKay to really sort of get his best stuff on? Either Adam McKay or, uh, you know, there, there are other directors who've gotten uh, good stuff out of him before, too. Todd Phillips in, in Old School. But that was kind of before Will Ferrell became Will Ferrell. He, that was his first uh, gig outside of uh, Saturday Night Live, first big gig outside of Saturday Night Live. Um, but, yeah, he definitely needs to work with a director who gets him and understands him and has the strength to... I mean, when Will Ferrell is himself a producer of the movie and the star of the movie, he's the big cheese. And you have to have a director who uh, can corral him and, and, you know, direct him and, and, and make good use of him. Otherwise, it's just not going to hold together. So as long as we're spoiling, let's give away some secrets at the end of this movie, which are actually kind of, um, they seem to us anyway, like like clues being buried in case there's any there's enough success for a for I don't a think they're clues being buried. I think they're clues being put up in big neon signs and, and posted for, for all to see. Well, I've seen even more neon sort of teasers for, for a sequel. I have a feeling that this movie's going to lie low and see if it, it gets enough audience for a sequel. But let's talk about the, the stuff that... Well, the, the, the big twist at the end is that Danny McBride decides to stay in the Land of the Lost. Uh, when they finally get the portal back open to come back to the real world, 
Danny McBride, who is with, uh, we've neglected to mention, they have this ape friend that has been their companion throughout the whole movie. Um, Danny McBride decides to stay and be, you know, the one-eyed man in the land of the blind. He's like, well, I can go back to America and be a loser. I can stay here and be the man I've always dreamed and of. And have a monkey harem of my own. And have a monkey harem. And he goes back to the monkey's uh, village to find out that while the men are still monkeys, the women are all vaguely European and, and hot. And so, Eastern European, really. Um, and so, Danny McBride stays behind. And then when Will Ferrell goes back to the real world, he, of course, goes back on Matt Lauer. And that's the, the bookend uh, device that closes the movie. And he's there to promote his new book called Matt Lauer Can Suck It, uh, which he forces Matt Lauer to promote um, because now he has proof that uh, he was right all along. And he then presents Matt Lauer with the other big setup for the sequel. Which he is- gives him what he thinks is is a dinosaur egg from the uh, Land of the Lost, but then you have to wait till after the credits to, to get this. It's a little sneak at the end. They show the, the dinosaur egg in, in the Today Show studio, and it hatches, and it's one of the slee stacks. It's one of the I evil- believe the plural is slee stack. Slee stack. One of the <laughs> slee sty- I think I noticed this in the production note. The plural of slee stack is slee stack. It's like sheep. Gotcha. Okay. Well. So obviously, what's going to have to happen in part two is that either something happens to Danny McBride back in the land of the lost world, and he calls them back through, right? Right. Or else the world is menaced by slee stacks, or both. Right. But somehow Will Ferrell and Danny McBride will have to come back together. Of course, all this is contingent upon this movie making more money than most of the rest of the critics seem to think that it will, since we're the only people on earth who liked it. We'll be there. You and I will shamelessly be standing in line with a bucket of hydroso urine in hand. Yes. Or at least popcorn. Okay, Tanner, thanks a lot for joining me for this thank movie. You, Dana. I promise the next one will not be a comedy. Awesome. And thank you all for joining us for this Slate spoiler special. For Slate.com, I'm Dana Stevens.